It's the next level. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Coming to you from the next level network of podcasts and Studio Zero, it is the final episode of 2020. I am your host, Postmortem Paul, welcoming you back to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And this is episode 83, the Christmas special. Alright, it's a little late, I get it, but still, at least I'm doing one, right? Gotta, gotta look at the positives. I know this past year has been a lot of focus on all negative stuff. Good way to keep everyone depressed. But I'm not going to do that. No. Because this episode's going to be a fun one. Episode 83 is based on a little short film or a holiday special of, of sorts. Based on the 2006 book of the same name by Stephen Kyoto and Jim Strain. The Netflix exclusive Alien Xmas. I'm finally doing it, yes. Because I didn't announce it way back at the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, technically, this should be like the New Year's episode, but no. It's the Christmas episode. That's okay, though. I hope everyone had a great Christmas. I hope everyone had a great holiday. I know mine was pretty good, not gonna lie. Uh, it was very quiet. With the exception of, you know, my quote unquote day job. You know, splitting up all my days off. So it's like I have two off, and then I work one, and then I have another two off, and then I work two, and then I have one off. And it's kind of a weird schedule. <laughs> And for someone like myself who doesn't, you know, sleep on a normal schedule, it's like, yeah, thanks for messing up my whole nucleus. But it's all good. Whatever. My Christmas was good, though. Um, got some cool new movies and new t-shirts and stuff. Because I'm a t-shirt guy. For those of you who don't know that, like, my my closet is like, there's like two pairs of pants, some socks underwear and then like 5,000 t-shirts 
<laughs> I'm definitely a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy, except I hate jeans. I don't like denim. Kind of weird like that. Anyways, so yes, this week's focus is on the Stephen Kyoto animated special that's exclusively on Netflix right now called Alien Xmas. As stated last episode, I'm going to keep more of a focused mentality when doing the episode, so we're going to jump right into the trailer timeout. And when we return, it will be a shared podcast experience between myself and you, my adoring audience, about this wonderful little special that I didn't know I even wanted and now I think it just might be a fam- uh, a post-mortem family tradition but more on that in a bit alright so trailer timeout starts now this is the story of the very first alien Christmas this is Earth we will build the ultimate weapon and their stuff will be our stuff could never have predicted how alien it would be. X, look out! Do you have a plan B? (laughs) Nope. Alright, so before we dive into this review of Alien Xmas, one thing I do want to say, for those of you who have been tuning into the show throughout the year, throughout the history of this show the previous 82 episodes plus you know the odd special here and there and whatnot um i do want to thank all of you for your continued support um this also includes the support i get on the social media accounts i know twitter is kind of the the quiet barren desert land that i don't get a whole lot of uh response on that one i think that to be fair it's kind of funny not funny but the person i get the most response from on my twitter account is darcy the mail girl because i pretty much only use the account for the last drive-in whenever it's like live streaming and whatnot so it's kind of funny because i can say hey you know the person that talks to me the most on there is darcy the mail girl but meanwhile that's like you know two tweets a year so (laughs) it's not like i'm that popular but um no, honestly, seriously, um, you know, in terms of the Facebook and the Instagram account and whatnot, I do get quite a bit of support on both of those, and I appreciate it. And just wanted to thank all of you for that. Thank all, like, thank all of you for giving me a reason to continue this. You know, um, like I said, like I said, previous episode, you know, there was stuff going on in my head and kind of had me wondering do I continue or not and you know what I I feel feel good about my decision to continue on so come 2021 I'm already uh you know toying with some ideas of reviews I'd like to do and things I'd like to do for the show and whatnot so possibly some contests this year I've never done that before so I'm kind of like how do I go about that one but um yeah there might be some like giveaways and stuff like that that I may attempt if I can figure out how to make it you know something that's worthy of the show and whatnot so but anyways yes from the bottom of my black and dead heart I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for your support and for 
just being awesome, you know, little lurkers. But now, moving on to Alien Xmas. I'm going to preface this by saying I didn't know I wanted this. Um, I remember the book coming out, but I never actually got around to getting a copy or reading it. I do remember that it came out, though, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I really hadn't, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about the book in a few years. And then all of a sudden, there was that one night where I noticed, you know, here on Netflix, there's this new program actually i think i don't even think i discovered it on netflix first i believe it was like bloody disgusting posted an article about it and i was like oh i remember that vaguely so of course you know i jumped on netflix to find out there it was and i'm like oh awesome so i gave it a whirl and i was pretty much i i felt like i had to talk about this i i know it's this year has definitely been a weird year for the podcast because not a, not only have I done one family-friendly episode, but now I'm doing a second one. And it's like, maybe 2020 is a weird year. But, um, but this, it was, I, I enjoyed this so much. I was like, I want to talk about this movie. And I know it doesn't technically fit on this show, but it, well, it kind of does because of the connection to the Kyoto Brothers. But... So, without any more further ado, Alien Xmas debuted on Netflix November 20th, 2020. Say that three times fast, but it is a special directed by Stephen Kyoto. Now, I keep saying, you know, Kyoto Brothers and Stephen Kyoto and whatnot. Most horror fans know the Kyoto Brothers were responsible for a certain little space flick with, you know, cotton candy guns and killer popcorn and a dog balloon that sniffed the ground, or balloon dog, sorry, um, that would sniff the ground and find the track of humans. Yeah, I'm talking about killer clowns from outer space. So he directed this and he also wrote the original book that this was based on. The screenplay was written by Keelan O'Rourke, Dan Clark, and Noah Clure. And the movie was produced by the Kyoto Brothers, John Bartnicki, and drumroll please. I can't do a drumroll, but uh, the man who has united Star Wars fans around the world, uh, John Favreau, was executive producer for this film. If that's not enough to pull you in, I don't know what it is, because I don't care what, I know some people are not big Marvel fans, and some people don't care for the movie Elf, and whatnot, whatever is whatever, but you cannot tell me that Jon Favreau is not a genius, especially for the fact that not even, what, a year ago? I was even on this show complaining about Star Wars fans for the fact that they could never stop complaining. And it was every time you saw anything that was Star Wars related on social media, you wanted to avoid it because you knew the comment section was going to make you cringe. This man 
along with the help from Dave Filoni and some guidance from George Lucas. I know a lot of people don't like admitting that part, but George was behind the scenes too. Between the three of them, they have silenced the masses with the Mandalorian. And everyone is happy. And it's nice to be a Star Wars fan again. It's like, wow, miracles do happen, people. Praise Grogu. There, that sounds better. And I know, Baby Yoda. It's Baby Yoda. No, it's Grogu. But anyways. So yes, John Favreau, executive producer for Alien Xmas. I have more on him in a bit, too. The music was done by Adam Schiff. Uh, the art department for this specific feature was run by the Kyoto Brothers. They were key in creating, painting, sculpting, and overseeing everything involved with the stop-motion animation filming. Um, yes, Alien Xmas. I have avoided saying this up until now was done in the old traditional way of stop-motion animation. So you think, you know, A Year Without a Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, all those Rankin-Bass, the little drummer boy was another one, um, the Rankin-Bass animated holiday specials that were always done in that, they, they, they look like little, like, block characters, you know, and they... they almost looked like it was like live action but not um that's how this is filmed that's how this was this is the animation used for this project which was a lot of the reason why i wanted to talk about it because not only was it a cute little story and whatnot but at the same time it like brought me back to when i was like you know six years old on you know and you know, mom would be like, oh, tonight, Rudolph's on at eight. If you're good, you can stay up and watch it. And, you know, I mean? and, you know, you're that little kid. that's like, yeah, I get to watch Rudolph. Um, I kind of got that feeling from this again. And so that's why I was like, I want to talk about this movie. I call it a movie. I guess it's like a short film, a holiday special, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a movie. Why not? Anyways. The starring cast, a uh, very small cast, a um, bunch of voice actors, Keith Farley as Santa, and he's a voice actor, very well known in the video game world. He's, uh, I think he had something like over like 200 video game credits and whatnot. Uh, probably one of three really famous names in here, uh, D. Bradley Baker. Uh, because I'm staying within the Star Wars universe, uh, he's famously known for being the voice of uh, Rex and the Clone Troopers for the whole Clone Wars series and Star Wars Rebels and whatnot. Um, I think he was also the voice of Chopper in Star Wars Rebels. But D. Bradley Baker, let's put it this way, 620 acting credits as of right now, as of this date. Uh, he, anyways, in this feature, he is the voice of X. X is our alien, or one of, but yeah, he's like the main character. Kalia Rambo as Holly. Um, she only had six acting credits, and it's, um, she's, she's just a young girl who's just starting 
in the acting field. So there was nothing that really like stood out or anything. She she's just starting now. So this might end up being like, you know, to this point, her probably her biggest role so far. Um Michelle Deco as Noel. Again, she's uh, another video game voice actor. She had quite a few video game credits. Uh, but she also did voices for the anime Kill La Kill, uh, which is, um, in the anime world, that's a really big title. Uh, Barbara Goodson as Z, or Zed. Zed in Canada, but I know, Z. Um, 367 acting credits, which also included included Akira, so that caught my attention. And the one most of you probably know her for. I was never a fan of this show. You know, don't send death threats to me now. Uh, I don't work for CD Projekt Red. But um, she was Rita Repulsa. For the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I was never a fan. I know. Blasphemy. Oh my god. Strike me down with lightning now. But yes, I was not a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan. To be fair... I was probably a little bit at, I was like the generation before that. Um, I grew up with Voltron, which was basically the same kind of idea. So, yeah, I was into like Voltron, Ultraman, Speed Racer, all that stuff. And then like it was like the next generation came along and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Dragon Ball Z were the big things. And that was, I never got into it. Sue me. Moving on to Jessica G. George. She is the voice of Mrs. Claus. She was an, uh, again, voice actor for multiple anime, which also included, again, Akira. I say that. She also worked on some live action stuff, uh, including Ghost in the Shell and Dark Phoenix, which was kind of funny because I'm laughing reading that, thinking, God, most Ghost in the Shell fans hate that movie. Most X-Men fans hated Dark Phoenix. Um, that's not that's not good, but I don't know. I, I haven't seen Dark Phoenix. I can't comment on that one. And as for Ghost in the Shell, I'm kind of like that rare fan that's like, I didn't mind it. It was okay. <laughs> it wasn't great, but it was okay. Comparing it to that 95 anime, um, in the most family-friendly way I can say it, F off. <laughs> Nothing tops that 95. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say nothing, but that's uh, in terms of the Ghost in the Shell world, that 95 anime is top of the crop. Final voice actor that I'm mentioning. Our savior of Star Wars, Jon Favreau as Obi. Obi is our lead male. Uh, He's kind of like the... um, well, I go on to detail a little bit later about him, but he's like the the father for Holly. But um Yeah, and it was funny because like when I was doing my notes, I was like John Favreau has Obi, and then I'm like, what do I credit him with? And I just basically wrote one of two Star Wars saviors right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean obviously Iron Man, Iron Man Two. Um I mean he helped create the MCU elf um i mean what hasn't john favreau done right and it's it's interesting with him because 
I think the reason why the man is so successful is he's kind of like us. He's a fan. He's a fan of what he's doing. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, keep Star Wars away from George Lucas and give it all to John Favreau and Dave Filoni. And it's like, first off, it's been highly, you know, noted. George Lucas has been behind the scenes as well on, you know, everything going on lately. Uh, but I, when I think about it, it's like, I look at John Favreau as being like that guy, like, you know, much of many of us, you know, we sit around and we talk about a movie we saw, or we talk about something that we love and we all have our own ideas as to what we would do. And I think he's that guy. He's that guy that sits around with his buddies and says, man, wouldn't it be awesome if, you know, we took Yoda and we made him smaller and very cute, like, and you know, we won't give him a name right away. We'll let the fans you know, have fun with that for a while, but just watch how much this will blow up. And of course it did, you know, and and I see him as being like that kind of guy. So I joke around and I say, well, he's one of two star Wars saviors and whatnot, but in all honesty, I think he's just a fan. He's just like the rest of us. So that's your voice acting crew though. I mean, there are other names, but they're all like random elf, <laughs> you know, random clept. Um, so it was like, yeah, I'm not going to go through the, I think there was something like a hundred voice actors for this. And so many of them were like random child. It's like, okay. The synopsis for this is very simple. I took this straight from Netflix. A young elf mistakes a tiny alien for a Christmas gift. Not knowing her new plaything has plans to destroy Earth's gravity and steal all the presents. See, it sounds more like a horror movie when you say the synopsis, right? But, yeah. Anyways, the movie is rated TVY. Um, Just probably the most friendliest rating I will ever mention on this show. Uh, the runtime is 42 minutes, which this is why I, I bounce back and forth between is it a holiday special or is it a film? Because it's like right in the middle right there. Like, but yeah, it's a 42, 42 minute thing. We'll call it that. Um, listed as a family fantasy film currently available through Netflix with no current release date listed for DVD or Blu-ray. I'm thinking more than likely they will release it on DVD and blue next holiday. Um, because you, you see that a lot. Um, Shudder is well known for that. They'll have something that's exclusive on their, their site for like six months or a year. And then all of a sudden, poof, it's out on DVD and Blu-ray as well. You know, because not everyone has the streaming services and whatnot. And Netflix does the same thing. I've noticed uh, a lot of their series, you'll see it like a year later, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all those. I remember they all had releases and whatnot. So uh, Orange is the New Black has been released on DVD and Blue many times. So I'm thinking, for me personally, I'm thinking this will be released on DVD and Blue probably sometime next year, uh, closer to Christmas. Now we're going to do the notes from Under the Christmas Tree. I know, not very original, but was all I could think of, okay? Like I said, my work schedule is, like, really screwing me up. Like, I don't get a chance to actually just, like, chill. Because <laughs> it's like, no sooner do I get into relax mode, it's like, back to work you go. And then it's like, oh. And then I finally get back into work mode, and it's like, now you have a couple days off. It's like, oh. 
My body's like, make up your mind. Yeah. Anyways. So, Alien Xmas. To be fair, even though this is based on the book, the book was actually meant to be a film pitch. They had artwork, they had storyboards, they had storyline, they had everything. It was already, originally, this was supposed to be a movie. And that didn't pick up so well. So Stephen Kyoto said, let's turn this into a book. And he made the book. Book was successful. Now he had something to base it on and then made it into a film pitch yet a second time. The pre-production started in April of 2019, um, and the shooting for Alien Xmas started in June of 2019, and if I remember correctly, it was, okay, so shooting would continue until Christmas break of 2019, and post-production was the first half of 2020, if I remember reading correctly, the project was Finally, completely, 100%, totally finished in August of 2020. And released three months later on Netflix. Um, I know that uh, the Kyoto Brothers basically... Well, Stephen was the one who did most of the interviews, so I should just refer to it as Stephen. I know he did say that, you know, everything in this movie was built from scratch. The puppets, the sets, everything. This was not something that was easy to do. However, he did credit... It's interesting because... He was saying, like, at the time that they were filming this, not only was he doing something with stop-motion animation, but so was Henry Selleck, so was Guillermo del Toro. Um, I've uh, There was someone else mentioned, I can't remember who that was. All of a sudden, there was like this, like what he calls a renaissance of stop motion animation or, you know, practical effect animation being done. It it was all of a sudden there was all these people like getting involved in it. And the Kyoto Brothers, I mean, when they started doing this, there was 104 people on the project. And by the time they were done, there was almost 300 people employed in making this this project. And he was saying, like, you know, with stop-motion animation, it's a slower process because everything is done frame by frame. However, he did also credit the fact that even though there's, like, this CG burnout right now, people are burnt out from CG animation. They're burnt out from CG effects. I mean, even in the horror community alone, or the horror, horror fandom, whatever you want to call it, even us as horror fans, we want practical effects again. We're tired of the CG shit. We're tired of the, the, you know, I'm not going to knock it too much because it's another movie for another time, but I was watching the new Wonder Woman movie, 1984. As much as I enjoyed aspects of it, there's a lot that took me out of that movie. And one of the, one of the aspects that took me out of it was the CGI. We want practical. Stephen Kyoto knew that going into this, and he wanted to do a project that was very um, resembling, you know, the 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 cartoons he grew up with, you know, as a kid. Same kind of cartoons I grew up with as a kid, you know. Like I said, Rudolph, Santa Claus, Santa Claus is coming to town, that sort of stuff. He wanted to do an animated project like that. 
even though it's all done in stop motion animation and practical effects and whatnot, he did credit CG or computer graphics for one thing. And he was saying that in the olden days, or, you know, <laughs> I say the olden days, but like, I mean, even going back to like, you know, the 1980s and whatnot, because um, the, the Kyoto brothers did Large Marge in, you know, Pee-wee's, uh, what is it, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Um, you know, they were responsible for that. And like he was saying, like, you know, back in the day when you did stop motion animation, it was a slow process because you do your scene, you do your set frame by frame, but you'd have to wait till at least the next day or two days later to see how it actually turned out because you couldn't just compile it into a computer, generate it and watch it right then. So he was saying like, it was it was nice to return to the glory days of practical effects and practical animation and whatnot, but because of CG effects as well, it made it a faster process, um, which is kind of cool. Like, because even though this whole animated feature was done full on practical effects using computers, made the process a bit faster. So, I mean. Yeah, they started, what, June 2019, and it was finished August 2020. You have to figure, if they didn't have the computer element, this could have taken, you know, two, three, four years to do, you know? And for a 42-minute movie, you're thinking, man, that's a long time. But frame by frame, keep that in mind, right? Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas was stop-motion animation. And if I remember correctly, that took them like two to three years. So, yeah, it, it's interesting how, like, even though we knock CGI and, and stuff like that, at the same time, there are, if used properly, it can be a benefit. I think that's more or less where I'm trying to go with this. Uh, in terms of Stephen Kyoto and John Favreau. Okay, so John Favreau, they view him as a kindred spirit. They view him as someone who who is a fan of things and wanted to make something that would appeal to, you know, an audience of all ages and whatnot. The thing is, is that this isn't the first time they collaborated. Now, the Kyoto brothers were also a part of the movie Elf. If you remember watching the movie Elf, which <laughs> I know is so out of character for me to say, but I love that movie. I think Elf is great. Um, but the Kyoto Brothers were a small part of that movie as well. Um, in terms of the stop-motion portion of the film, um, more more um, specifically, the characters of the baby walrus and the Arctic puffin. You know, and there was um, oh, the narwhal, I think, was the other one. Anyways, when, when Buddy's leaving, you know, Christmas Town, and he's going to go to New York to you know, find his father and whatnot. And there's the, the stop motion animation in there. That was the Kyoto brothers were responsible for that part. So they had crossed paths with John Favreau before. And actually a, a little bit to note, uh, the baby walrus and the Arctic puffin actually make a cameo in alien Xmas. If you can spot it, they're there. Um, so yeah. Uh, the other reason why they, aside from the whole stop motion thing, the part where that they really collaborated well was that John Favreau, when he walked into this, you know, 
he had the same approach that Stephen Kyoto did. No side project, no no side stories, no filler. Let's just tell our story quick and to the point, which you don't see often. So many times you'll see a book translated into a film and they try to flesh it out. So they add things to it. Stephen Kyoto did not want to do that. And neither did John Favreau. So that worked out perfect for them. They they felt that it was a really good marriage. Also, the name John Favreau attached to anything is going to help sell something quickly. And I mean, this is becoming even more known, especially now with you know the Mandalorian. Like everybody is like you know praising John Favreau yet again. And you you attach his name to anything, it it draws attention. Which helped get this onto Netflix. Which, side note, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space 2. The Kyotos still want to do that. Now that Netflix has this, and it has drawn attention. John Favreau's name was attached to this, which drew even more attention. Maybe we finally get that sequel after all. Now, I, I'm... Nervous about that because Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a, you know, it's very dear to my heart. I would hate for a sequel to come out and it suck, but it's also a passion project they've been working on for 30 years. And odds are it probably wouldn't suck that bad. But back to this though. The Kyoto Brothers and John Favreau though was a, a very good combo really helped to sell this to Netflix and to draw an attention and like I said especially lately with you know Favreau's name like just grabbing all the attention it can get it, it was bound to help this little project out as well now in terms of the story of the story it's quite simple um a race of beings extraterrestrials known as the Kleps um, they basically squandered their home resources. They've squandered their water, their their air, their land, and everything. Uh, in turn, they've had to live out in space. And it also helped um, basically deteriorate their color. They were, they were very colorful aliens. They were blue ones and green ones and red ones and yellow ones and stuff like that. And now they were all gray. They lost their color, which was an interesting metaphor of lost identity. I thought that was very interesting. I mean, I could sit here and take this way political as well. I'm not going to. But it does seem somewhat resemblant of even times we are living in right now. Uh, But yeah, so these colorful little aliens squandered everything off their home planet. They're now living out in space. They're miserable. They're gray. They're... Very bland. And as they're, you know, traveling through space and time, they discover Earth. They decide that they want to steal all the stuff from Earth. So, Alien X. We bring in X. X is this little cute little alien. He's a gray. And his, they call it a semi-automatic multitasking unit, or SAM-2. They are sent to Earth. And they are sent to Earth. They have the task of setting up the Gyrotron. Gyrotron. Uh, this is uh, Alien Z. This is Z's idea. Or Zed. It's Z in the movie, I know. But the Canadian in me wants to say Zed. Damn it. <laughs> but anyways. Um, 
So yeah, Z has this idea, go down to Earth, set up this gyrotron. X and Sam 2 say, okay, fine, we'll go do it. And they go down to Earth and and the idea of the gyrotron, by the way, is that it will eliminate Earth's gravity. And all the stuff on Earth will float into space and then the kleps will come along and they'll steal everything. And then there's Obi. Obi is, you know, the lead elf mechanic. He's also like the the father of Holly and whatnot. And, you know, he his task in this is that he created this like sleigh for Santa. It's supposed to, you know, it's a new technological sleigh. It's all about the techno and consumerism. It's all about being faster and bigger and better because new is always best. No, it's not. But anyways, um, but that's the point, right? So you know, Santa wants to retire the reindeer. He's tired of the old-fashioned ways. He wants to become technologically smarter. It's all about smartphones and smart sleighs. Except when they go to run it for the first time, and it goes kaput. So, Obi has to fix it. Which means he doesn't get to spend time with his daughter, Holly, or his wife, Noelle. And in all of this, you know, X is on planet Earth and he's supposed to be making the gyrotron and he strays off and Obi is frustrated and he strays off and they, boom, they cross paths. Except that when they do, X makes it look like he is, you know, dead. He's playing dead, playing possum. Obi thinks that, you know, X is a doll. So he brings the doll back home and he gives it to his daughter holly and i'm not going to spoil much more than that except to say that the unification of holly and x leads to a cute little story of friendship and loyalty and the little alien basically discovers his color again and he discovers life again and love again and yeah so you, you know you're thinking okay let's Pretty normal, pretty calm. Yeah, then the last 15 minutes happen. It takes a weird twist. It goes kind of weird. goes kind of funny and awesome and somewhat unpredictable. I mean, especially if you haven't read the book, then you have no clue what's going on. But, I mean, it's it. It's not bad. Uh, you know, a 42-minute feature doesn't, doesn't over, you know, overstay its welcome kind of thing. Um, you can, I mean, obviously it's, it's a holiday special. You can kind of predict what the ending will be. It's easy to figure out, but I mean, it's still, it's entertaining. Um, like, I don't know. It's, it really helps that there's no side plots. It really helps that it, it tells its story and it focuses when it's focused on a, a portion of the story. Like you're not confused. This is, this isn't stretching your brain. You don't have to like, you know, go okay so x and z are with y and a and b are with d and e and no it it's it's straightforward it's and oh my god it's colorful very colorful huh i mean and that's the thing like because you got to figure this is stop motion animation right now i'm sure obviously you know plugging it into the computer and you know they enhanced some of the colors and whatnot but it's still it's gorgeous Oh my god, it's so bright and the colors are rich. And I mean, and here's the other thing, like I mean, like you're watching this and you got to remember like 
this is coming from the trio of brothers that gave you, you know, the Terenzi brothers and murderous clowns from the outer reaches of space, you know, a balloon dog and like, you know, people dying by cotton candy and like, it's just, it's, you know, you're, you're watching this going, wow, like this came from the same people. But then again, I mean, take a look at Black Christmas versus A Christmas Story, you know, both done by Bob Clark. You know, Black Christmas is a slasher flick, you know, one of the original slashers. And then he goes and does A Christmas Story. And then he does Porky's. I mean, like, you know, so it just, it, it, it's nice to see that, you know, the Kyoto Brothers have range. The score by Adam Schiff, or Schiff, sorry, is perfect. Uh, it helps to complement the feel and the atmosphere of the story and the characters. Um, I couldn't find anywhere that the soundtrack has been released yet. I think it would be like a kind of like a cute little holiday soundtrack to have playing in the background at Christmas time and whatnot. But in terms of reception of the film, Rotten Tomatoes right now has it a hundred percent fresh. Uh, based on six critic reviews, and it's 75% fresh due to audience approval. So, it's up there. John Squires of Bloody Disgusting uh, basically said that the movie is imaginative and heartfelt. Alien Xmas is far from the first Christmas special to highlight the importance of holiday togetherness versus a consumeristic obsession with stuff. But it's, time, but it's a timely message the Kyotos deliver with the genuine earnestness of filmmakers who are bringing a passion project to life rather than churning out a lifeless product. Yes, absolutely. It's a long sentence to say, but that's exactly what this movie is. It is a... Uh, and we've seen this theme before, you know, the idea of, you know, family and love and loyalty versus, you know the big bad consumerism and, I mean, welcome to the world, right? Here in Ontario, you know, COVID-19 lockdown, they waited, uh-huh, waited till the day after Christmas. Why? Christmas sales. Need to make that money. I mean, that's the world we live in, right? And this is a perfect example of, it shows, you know, family togetherness versus, yeah, I, I mean, the fact alone in the story of Obi, you know, being pulled away from his family so that he can fix Santa's sleigh. Instead of Santa just saying, you know what, I got eight great reindeer that have, nine if you include Rudolph, that have gotten me through every Christmas. Why do I have to go this route of, you know, this new techno device that, oh, hey, this will save so much time. And new is not always best, people. But yeah, so... Uh, and that, that's the thing too, is we see this so often, um, again, kind of picking on it and I shouldn't, but Wonder Woman 1984, there's some performances in there that are very bland and it feels almost like, you know, John Squire said, lifeless product. This does not feel like that. This has heart. This has, you know, comedy and it has uh, a very good feeling of joy you get from watching it you know what i mean um there i wouldn't say that you're gonna like you know ball niagara falls but there's some nice emotional moments in it and whatnot it feels it it's a very good family product um polygon uh the 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 review 
editorial done by Polygon uh, came from Tasha Robinson. Uh, she basically compared Alien Xmas to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, <laughs> Invader Zim, and the stop-motion works of Rankin Bass. Um, she called it a, a harmless holiday distraction, short and cute and speed bump free. Yep, exactly. Um, like I said, no side. It's not. It's not like a video game where you have like side quests and sh you know shit like that. No, this is direct, straightforward storytelling. Um, and yeah, the idea of how the Grinch stole Christmas. I mean, you got to keep in mind. Look at the story of that. You know, the Grinch. He hates Christmas. He wants to steal it. And Cindy Lou Who and the other Who's kind of show him the way of Christmas and he has like this, you know, life-changing moment and whatnot. It's kind of the same idea with this, especially with the relationship between Holly and X. Uh, Rachel Wagner of rachelsreviews.net wrote, The alien is so cute and its transformation transformation is very sweet and tender. It has a nice message and the whole family will enjoy it. Absolutely. IMDb currently has this at a 6.2 out of 10, with 6 and 7 being the two most common ratings. 92% of Google users like this film. I couldn't find a Metacritic score, but I can give you the podcast zero rating. This is a fun little film. Uh, 42 minutes in length. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's... Three quarters of an hour is is the time you will spend. No sooner does it start, it's almost done. And you're having a good time in that time frame. Very colorful. God, is it colorful. The colors, especially like if you've got it in like, you know, 4K HD. Oh, whew, she gorgeous. Um, beautifully animated. You can tell there was a lot of time and effort put into this. This was not something that was rushed. This was something that you can tell there was a lot of passion put into it, a lot of devotion and determination behind it. Um, and it, it definitely, for a 45-year-old guy like me, it brought me back to the days when, you know, I was like six, seven, and eight years old, and mom would let me, quote-unquote, stay up late to watch specials like Rudolph and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Simple story, no filler, no confusing twists. Nothing we haven't really seen before, though. Um, this is not the most original, especially in terms of the message it purveys, but it's still entertaining. And even though, I mean, like, yeah, as, as you know, an older gentleman who's watching, I'm not a gentleman, but anyways, um, as someone who's older, who's, you know, seen many Christmas specials over the years, yeah, I can predict what's going to happen, but it didn't matter. It was still fun to watch. It did what it needed to do. And after three quarters of an hour or 42 minutes, I was able to move on and go to the next thing. Uh, final verdict? A solid 7.5 out of 10. Not over the moon amazing. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but it's still worth the watch. And I can see that, you know, this is one that could be an annual tradition. It could be one of those specials that someone watches every year from this point on. There's another movie that recently came out with Mel Gibson. This is more for the adults, but Fat Man is another movie that may become an annual tradition for many people. Um, it's a different spin on things. 
This one, however, Alien Xmas, I definitely recommend it. It's highly recommended. It's a lurker's recommendation for an episode that I don't have a lurker's recommendation. But yes, um, that's that. It's a seven and a half, seven point five out of ten. I, I'm I was very pleased with it when I saw it. I have watched it twice, um, and I can see that I'll probably watch it again. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, yeah, so that's that. Alien Xmas, 7.5 out of 10. Highly recommended. If you didn't watch it this year, um, you know, I'm that guy. I'm going to put this out there now. It doesn't have to be Christmas to watch a Christmas movie. I, there's been times I've watched Black Christmas in the middle of June. <laughs> you know, um, Die Hard is a movie that I watch at least three or four times a year. I know there's the whole argument. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or isn't it? It is. Stop arguing. If you don't think it is, then you don't think it is. But many of us do. And what does it matter what its classification is? It's just a label. Don't worry about it. I'm really I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there now. I really hope 2021 because you know the human race thinks within years instead of realizing you know December 30th and January 1st are basically the same thing but anyways I hope that in 2021 we start to learn to think outside the box I hope we kind of let go of labels I hope that you know because science isn't the new well if it's on Facebook it must be true but I have a feeling that's where we're headed with that one. Um, but yeah, I I kind of hope people become less critical. I know it's probably not going to happen, but I would like to see that. I'd like to see, you know, a world where stop focusing so much on differences. Again, I feel like John Lennon singing the new version of Imagine, except I can't sing, and I'm not John Lennon. But, yeah, it's... Like, even this, you know? Some people might say, well, this didn't fit on this podcast. Mm, But for me, it did. You know? But, yeah. I hope we can lighten up on the labels and the, the, the divisions. You know, everything is about dividing. It's about keeping things separated all the time and then and then when we're telling people you know stay away from each other it's like well i'm not gonna do that well you've been separating everything else (laughs) why should you be any different um but yeah i don't know that's that's my hope for 2021 i know for this show personally um i already have some ideas i have some reviews i'd like to do and whatnot uh this year probably also try and stick more on the horror aspect and especially in the last couple months I've kind of strayed off and done other things and whatnot. so try to stick with the horror genre a little bit more I'm sure there's going to be some sci-fi thrown in there and whatnot. but um, but yeah that's that basically where to find the podcast Spotify, Apple Podcasts Google, anywhere that you download your your podcast episodes, podcast addict Castbox, FM Player, whatever, you know, Spotify. I think it's been, I said Spotify already, but you could also go to its home at the Next Level Network, you know, .com. 
nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. Or you could go to whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know where to find it. And that's that. Like I said, I don't I don't really have a lurker's recommendation. You know what my lurker's rec Ah, I have this. Lurker's recommendation. What is my recommendation for this show this week? That each of us tries to be a little bit better, a little bit smarter, and not so much of an asshole in 2021. I know that probably won't happen, but to my listeners, I can say that's what I hope. I hope for that. I hope we can try to spin things a little bit more in a positive manner than always so negative. Because this this past year was hard. I know, and it's weird because at the beginning of the year and at the beginning of the pandemic and the beginning of all the, oh my god, this is a conspiracy and that's a conspiracy. I was doing okay, actually. I thought I was going to have a good year. And as the year went on, it was like got harder to deal with not so much in terms of my life or how I was living it but just it was suffocating all the anger and the negativity and it's like I want I want to see that disappear I know it won't I, I'm a realist I'm well aware of what this world will be but I can at least put that out there and hope for the best maybe somebody listening to this you know maybe says I'm with you on that and you know tries to do their best to purvey more of a positive attitude I'm not I'm not saying you know put blinders over your eyes and act like oh my god there's nothing wrong with this world there's a crap ton wrong with this world but at least try to approach things in a not so much asshole way I don't know I'm trying. I it, it, trust me. It's a it's a struggle I deal with every day, and you you guys have 82 episodes that you can go through, and I'm sure in every single one of them I've been an asshole at least once. <laughs> I've made a comment here or there, and it's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I said it, and it is what it is. Um, I'm not perfect, and no one else is, and that's that. So that's my big thing. All right, yeah, I know. And you're like, wow, he took a nice family-friendly episode and completely went all serious. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. We'll finish out with a closing track, though, that's a lot more happier and peppier than me. Um, it's actually a weird track because I don't think it was actually ever officially released anywhere. It was just something that kind of popped up on the internet one day. and uh, It's from the, the band... Band from the Netherlands, known as Within Temptation. And I figure, well, you know, it's a Christmas episode, so let's finish off with a Christmas song. Apparently, the song is called Gothic Xmas. And again, like I said, it was never technically officially released anywhere to my knowledge. I know it just kind of popped up on the internet. And back in the days of, like, you know, Napster and WinMX and (laughs) all those kind of funky little programs, that's how I came across this thing. So... Yeah, we're going to finish off with that. And to all of you, I want to wish you a happy new year. Um, Stay safe. I hate when people say that. 
It's like, no, I'm seriously, I'm going to go out and live dangerously and hope I die tomorrow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, I need to stop being that guy that's always like, really? Like, do you think I'm trying to get myself killed? I'm not that stupid. Don't follow up with that. Just leave that be, okay? Within temptation, Gothic Xmas. That's everything. And the last time I'm going to say this in 2020, it's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up. <laughs>